Good morning. Today is Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. I understand a number of people are making a mistake concerning Heinz ketchup for Pesach. So this year, I understand that Heinz ketchup, Heinz ketchup for the first time is being made in Israel under kosher for Pesach supervision. Ketchup definitely requires kosher for Pesach supervision. I understand this year it's being made by Heinz in Israel kosher for Pesach and is available in a number of places. To the best of my knowledge, it is not available here in Montreal. But that product is fine. If you see it with a kosher for Pesach symbol, that product is fine and enjoy it if you want. But regular Heinz ketchup is not kosher for Pesach and cannot be used. I understand a number of people are making a mistake because there's discussion about Heinz ketchup. So people are walking into IGA and buying Heinz ketchup for Pesach, but that's not okay. It's got to be specifically kosher for Pesach. And I do not believe that that is available here in Montreal to the best of my knowledge. This is just one example demonstrating that it is a fact of life that the only way to observe Pesach properly is to follow updated product information. And every year it gets more complicated, more nuanced, and more confusing. It used to be that there were many, many items that were fine for Pesach with no kosher for Pesach supervision, as long as it was a new container. For example, in, in years past, it was okay to buy pure orange juice or decaf coffee or frozen vegetables. Many, many other products which are not okay now without a kosher for Pesach symbol. But the list of items that did not need any supervision was much longer in the past. So while I encourage people to use products that do not require any kosher for Pesach supervision, as long as you have a new unopened container of it, please make sure that you are not relying on the lists from previous years or what you remember from the past, because those lists need to be updated. And in the emails that I'm sending out of Pesach resources, I do have those lists for this year. But again, the list, the, the list of those products gets shorter and shorter. Why is that? Well, it's due to a couple of different reasons. One reason is that increasingly a product itself might be completely fine for Pesach, but it is manufactured on machinery that is also used for chametz. And since the machinery is not cleansed in between the runs, there is the possibility of residue of chametz being present in the new product. This is the issue that affects orange juice. It used to be any pure orange juice was okay. That's no longer the case. Even pure orange juice requires kosher for Pesach supervision, unless it is from a company where the kosher organization says this is okay for Pesach. 
And the problem is, increasingly, the same machinery that's used for the orange juice to pasteurize the orange juice is also used to pasteurize chocolate milk, which is not kosher for Pesach. So, since the same machinery is being used, it is no longer on the list of items that do not require any supervision for Pesach. What's changed? What's changed is this kind of machinery, for example, to pasteurize orange juice. This is gigantic, gigantic machinery. It could be bigger than my house. And it's very, very expensive. And companies who manufacture products are always looking for ways to improve and to save costs. So they no longer can afford to have a machine that costs, I don't know, a million dollars that's only used for orange juice and therefore it's in usage, let's say 12 hours a day, but at night it's empty. Companies want to save money. So therefore they're using it for a different product so that it's now in use 24 hours a day. By doing this, they are constantly looking for ways to increase the efficiency of their production. So therefore, certain products where the machinery used for it was dedicated, now it is shared. Another example is frozen vegetables. Used to be that the machinery, which also is very, very large and very expensive, the machinery used for frozen vegetables was dedicated just for that. But then companies develop products with vegetables and pasta, and that is now produced on the same machinery in order to increase efficiency. So therefore, those products, since there's a residue from one run to the other, those products are no longer kosher for Pesach unless they have specific kosher for Pesach supervision. In a successful business, every aspect of production is constantly reviewed to eliminate waste, to lower costs, and to increase efficiency. And that is such an important lesson. The difference between chametz and matzah relates to just not wasting a minute. If you mix the flour and dough, the flour and water, and you get it into the oven before 18 minutes, it's matzah. One minute later, after 18 minutes, it's chametz. We have to try to do it as quickly as we can. We have to try to find every possible efficiency. It's the key to living as a Jew all year long. There is so much opportunity, for example, to learn Torah, for example. So who has time to sit down and go to a class for an hour? Okay, well, first of all, I hope that you make time to do that. But so many technologies that we can make use of with, uh, with an iPhone, with uh, po uh, uh, podcasts, with, uh, you know, uh, YouTube. You can have a minute standing in line somewhere and you can make use of it for a constructive purpose. Another reason for the change in what's on these lists of which products do not need any supervision for Pesach, another reason and it also includes a lesson. So I'll tell you a story. Years ago, when we lived in New Haven, a large part of my job was kosher supervision. And I did kosher supervision for the, the businesses 
that I myself supervised. And I also worked as an agent for several of the large cautious organizations, the OU, the OK, the Star K, several of the large organizations. And I would do some work for them on a as needed basis. So, so there is a candy bar. Um, I actually haven't had one of these in years, but I uh, have loved it throughout my life called a Mounds Bar. A Mounds Bar is a chocolate, it's coconut with chocolate on the outside. Some have almonds, some don't. So Mounds uh, uh, Candy Bar is supervised by the OU. It turns out, now I'm going back 20 years, so I don't, I don't, I'm not current with uh, Mounds Bars, but at least when I was involved, there was only one factory in the entire world that made Mounds candy bars. It was located in Connecticut and I supervised it for on behalf of the OU. So I would go up there every once in a while and it was relatively easy to relatively easy to do. Of course, you still have to be careful in their guidelines and, but relatively easy because it's one factory in the whole world. It's one candy bar. They have not changed the ingredients in a hundred years or so. And, um, <laughs> nothing changes, nothing changes. So you have to go in, you have to see the whole plant. Cause you never know something could change. You have to go see the whole plant. You have to check the supplies. You have to check the paperwork to make sure what's coming in and what's going out matches and where things are being purchased from. You have to look at all the machinery. You have to check everything. Okay, fine, fine. So I remember the first time I went there. So. Uh, the manager who's showing me around. So I said, you know, I'm now taking this over for the OU. So um, please show me the factory. So obviously I have to keep track that I need to see the entire plant, every single room, every door has got to be open. I can't take any chance of, I don't take anyone's word for anything. I have to verify for myself. So we're walking down a hallway and I see a door and he walks past it. So I said to him, um, what's that door? So he says, Oh, it's, it's not really relevant to you. He said, um, it's our R and D lab research and development lab. So what I said to him was, well, okay, I understand, but I still need to go inside. If you're trying out new products, I need to see what ingredients you're using there. They also have to be kosher. And he said, fine. And we went in and everything was fine. <laughs> but I thought to myself, why do they need an R&D department? What, what research and development is there? It's a balance bar. It has not changed in a hundred years. There are no new products. The whole company, the whole factory only makes one product. What kind of R&D is going on? And I realized this is a tremendously important lesson in industry. Companies, regardless of the success of the product or how efficient they believe it is, companies are constantly reevaluating their assumptions about the ingredients, about what to make, about how to do it. And these changes in procedures are another reason 
that products that used to never be a problem have become a problem because companies found a new way of doing something that you and I may not even recognize that causes a problem for Pesach. Decaf coffee is an example. What could be wrong with decaf coffee until a few years ago, companies started introducing a new method of decaffeinizing, de decaffeinating uh, the coffee that actually has a Pesach concern. Many, many other products are in this category because of a change in the way that they make it or some other aspect of it, an, a, a kashrus problem for Pesach has arisen. Rabbi Rafal Shmulavitz, a great scholar of the previous century, used to teach this lesson. We all know a famous line in Pirkei Avos, Ezehu Asher Hasameach Bechelko, who is a rich person, one who is satisfied with what they have. Said Rav Shmulevich, that applies to Gashmias, to physical and material needs. Be satisfied with what you have, you'll be a wealthy person. And if you're not satisfied with what you have, it doesn't matter how big your bank account is, you'll never be a wealthy person. Said Rav Rafal, that only applies to material, physical means. When it comes to spiritual matters, a person should always consider themselves poor. A person should always be trying to enrich themselves. A person should always look for ways to grow and to have more spirituality, more Torah learning, more connection with God. Just because I've done it this way, in my spiritual life, in terms of my observance of mitzvot, in my prayer, in my study, just because I've done it this way and I'm used to it, that doesn't mean it's the best way. I should always be looking for change. I should always be looking for growth. And while the examples that I gave you about the manufacturing of different products are technical issues that are not related to Pesach, they also remind us about what Pesach should mean for us. Sivan Rahab Meir wrote, Egypt was the symbol of stability and regularity. The Nile always flows. Farmers were not dependent on rain. The slavery of the Jewish people was a law of nature. Paro, his dynasty, one after the other, existed forever. The exodus from Egypt gave a new hope to humanity that we can change things and we can be changed ourselves. That we can break the closed circuit of the law of nature. We can let the light of God penetrate reality and light it with a moral light. That's why, says Sivan Rahab Meir, we put so much emphasis at the Seder on the plagues, the 10 plagues. Why do we have to tell the story about the plagues? Why does God have to bring the plagues to begin with? God could have arranged for the Jewish people to leave Egypt without needing 10 plagues. But there's something very, very important about the plagues. The unchangeable Nile River turns to blood. The stable land is suddenly filled with lice. 
the sun, which always shines, suddenly disappears. The purpose of the ten plagues, in addition to being the vehicle through which Paro comes to the decision to let the Jewish people go free, but in addition to that, the purpose is to undermine our stability, our belief that this is how it is and how it will always be and there's nothing we can do about it. No. No. What the Torah comes to teach us, what God wants to teach us, is that we should constantly be striving for change. We often refer to ourselves as people who are traditional. Traditional Jews, for example, we refer to ourselves. Yes, in a certain sense, but we should also always be looking for change, be looking for growth and improvement and not simply maintaining what we have always done. And that's a lesson to learn from these companies who are always looking for how to do it better. And this is an essential part of Pesach, especially the Seder. I want to share something with you that I learned this year. I never knew this before, but it's a fascinating insight to the Seder. So, you know, we have the Seder, which means order, is a, a series of steps that we go through from the beginning to the end. The last step of the Seder is Nirza. Nirza means acceptance. We, we hope that what we have done at the Seder, because now we're completing it, is acceptable to God, that we have done it correctly. Nirza, acceptable. There's another translation of Nirza. Nirza can also mean we want. And listen to what Rav Nachman Abretzlov said. Rav Nachman Abretzlov explained that Nirza at the Seder is not only about expressing that we've gone through the whole Seder, Chasal, Seder, Pesach, Chaso, that we have gone through the whole Seder and we've done it according to the rules and we hope that it is acceptable to God. It's not only that. Nirza is also about leaving the Seder night wanting more, continuing to grow and developing our relationship with God. The end of the Seder is not the end. It is the beginning of the journey. And at Nirza, we want to express that we hope that the moment of the ending of the Seder will be a beginning of a journey that stays with us and propels us higher and closer to God as the year unfolds. And even the way we shop for Pesach, is an opportunity, if we focus on it, to get ready for what the Seder is supposed to lead us to. The desire and the will to change, to improve, to leave the Seder on our own personal journey towards a closer connection with God. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.